Today, we're going to continue in our uh, Church Reimagined series. You know, um, as I was putting this together, I, I had the thought of, of unmet expectations. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this a lot. I've actually done this a lot to myself. I do it often, and I try not to do it, but the truth is I still do it. Have you ever, I tell you where I tend to do it often. You ever go on vacation? You ever been on a vacation? And for whatever reason, you had all of these expectations in your mind, and it just didn't go that way? Like the, the hotel room was not what they showed you, or on VRBO or Airbnb, like whoever they got to take those pictures of that cottage, that isn't the way it turned out, right? Sometimes, or, or you know, uh, I think even going to Disney, like, you know, at Disney's this magical place, and you, you hopefully you, maybe you've been to Disney, but really, it's, it's an impossible situation because they, the magic kingdom, where do you go if the magic isn't there that day? That's really hard. I mean, it's really tough, man. We, we have unmet expectations all over. We all do it. We all bring expectations to the table. Um, I've done it a lot in, in my life, and, and I, I can tell you, uh, no matter, it seems like even, even trips I go on, I try to make, I try to make a pact with myself. It, when we go on family vacations or whether I'm going into any new situation, whether it's work-related, family-related, job-related, people-related, I really try hard to have a bar set that isn't unattainable. Because what I've found in life is that heartache follows unrealistic expectations. Have you ever noticed that? Heartache follows unrealistic expectations. We, we, we really do have a, a, a tendency sometimes to expect things that, that uh, or look for meaning in things that were never really intended to give us meaning. There's a guy that, that I've studied in the Bible many times, and he isn't the focal point of what we're doing today. There's a guy named Solomon, and, and Solomon was known for his wisdom, but Solomon was also known for his wealth. He, he was given in, in intense wealth. In fact, most historians think that Solomon could be the richest man in the history of human, the human race. And he was also given the wisdom to manage that. So it'd be kind of a neat guy to meet, right? But Solomon went on this journey, he, and, he, and he, he's really transparent about it. it. I think sometimes people look at him as this superhero. I, think, I don't think Solomon was in any way trying to make it a grand endeavor. Solomon said uh, in Ecclesiastes, it, that's the book that he wrote, and he says something there about an experiment that he took, and here's a portion of it. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. In other words, if I didn't have it, it's because I didn't want it, right? Women, didn't matter. Uh, it, it, jobs, vineyards, houses. He built cities. If he didn't have it, it's because he didn't want it, because he had the money to get it. And yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon testified to the, to the fact that there are times we search for meaning outside of the, of the things only God can bring us. Many times in my life when I've had unrealistic expectations, I am looking to find value in something that wasn't meant to give me value at all. It, it was meant to make life a little better maybe, 
but it wasn't meant to do for me only what Jesus can do. And I'll, and I'll tell you, I, I really do believe, as we've looked in this idea of uh, church reimagined, which is the name of this series, I, I really believe that sometimes we can do that with the idea of church, okay? The idea of church. I think we can, we can have sometimes unrealistic expectations that set us up for frustration. So today I want to talk to you about imagine, in church reimagined, I want to talk to you about a church with what I'm going to call unified expectations. A church with unified expectations. Not unrealistic expectations, but, but unified expectations. You know, Think about it. Uh, what, what, is, what does Philippians 4 say to us? Philippians 4 says, And my church will meet all of your needs according to the riches of local church life. Now that, see, now I'm just seeing if you're awake. Right? Because that's heresy. Blatant, brutal heresy. Right? No. God's word never said that. See, only Jesus, listen to me, friend. If you don't get anything else that I'm telling you today, get this. Listen to me, get this part. If you leave here with nothing else, only Jesus can do what Jesus can do. Only Jesus can do for you what Jesus can do for you. Paul never said, and my church will meet all of your needs according to the riches of local church life. We have expectations. I have them. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I have expectations too. No, actually, what did, let's let's make sure we clarify. What did Paul say in Philippians 4? And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, the only person that can do for you what needs to be done is Jesus. And if you go, as the prophet Johnny Lee said, looking for love in all the wrong places, if you go doing that, you're going to have a level of expectation that is unable to be attained. And so perspective matters a lot. And today I want to talk to you about imagining a church, not just Clearview, just the body of Christ. Not just here, the body of Christ. What would it look like for us to have unified expectations? Because there are expectations. Let's, don't, let, let's, don't, let's make sure we don't say there are no expectations, because there are. But what, what would it look like to have a redefined perspective? Well, for that, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to go back there. We were there last week. We're going to go there again today. Acts chapter 2. And I want to give you just three, just three, three perspectives to find fulfillment in church life. Now, you know what? There could be 20 or 30. There could be 37 of these. I could give you maybe 17 based on realistic experiences in my own life. Today, I'm just going to give you three because the truth is the perspective that you use will define what you discover in your heart. The the lens that you look at life through, these lenses frame up how I see some of you and and so these lenses that I put on my face, they frame up how I see life, right? So, so the reality is there's all kinds of perspectives we can use, and we're going to look at some perspectives that we found, not just what happened, but not just what you see, but what you don't see. Sometimes you've got to read between the lines to what you don't see. And this is the early church. By the way, let me give you the context real quick. This is the early church. Jesus had just sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus had just launched the early church. I mean, these are the first generation, the first wave of Christians. And this is kind of what they focused on. These are the foundations. You will find church leaders going back to this often, and you should, because this is the playbook right here. Verse 42, Acts 2, verse 42. 
It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they're literally telling you what they gave their time to. Listen to me, friend. You've only got so much energy in life, right? You've only got so much energy in life. You've only got so much ability to focus on something. And so you get to decide where you focus. And even churches, we get to decide where we put our focus. We do. And so what, what, did, what did they put their focus on? It says, they, verse 42, they put their focus on the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. That is worship. That is signs and wonders. People were being healed. Uh, the demonic was being confronted. I mean, this stuff didn't just happen then. It happens today. And it says they were focused on the worship of God. And it says in verse 44, all of those who believed, that is, this, this new church, they were together. And they had all things in common. Remember what I told you last week. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, right? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It does mean that they were of one mind. They were for each other. Next week I'm going to be talking about imagine a church where you believe the best about each other. Imagine a church where you believe the best about each other. You see, they were together. They, and they were different people, but they were together. And verse 45 says, And they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone had need. They were literally selling off land. Wow. Personal land. And day by day, continuing with one mind. There it is again, with one mind, one, one, one vision. In the temple, they were breaking bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having, they had favor with the people. Don't forget that. Look at when favor came. Favor came through their oneness. And the Lord was adding to their number daily to those who were being saved. So today, I want to help you, just, just three, there's probably many, but I want to give you three. If you're a guest today, this is good for you. If you're watching, like, no, a lot, now the front door of the church is uh, live stream. People watch us from the outside in. Uh, you know, before COVID, people came and they experienced what you were like. Now, people watching the outside in. If you're a guest today watching online, I want you to know this is good for you because it helps you understand if you're looking for a place to call your church family don't set yourself up for frustration through unrealistic expectations. So I'm just going to give you three lifted from the context of Acts chapter 2. So how do, we, how do we have unified expectation? Well, here's the first perspective. See church leaders as guides, not solutions. See church leaders as guides, not solutions. Now, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, and by the way, if you want a place to take notes, if you look on the seats next to you, there's white cards. And those are for your taking. Those are for you. There's a place on the front and back for you to take notes. And I hope you write this down. See church leaders as guides, not solutions. You know, I'll tell you something. We all bring, listen to me close, we, we all bring human expectations to the spiritual family, Right? We all bring human expectations to a spiritual family. We, that's what we do. And that doesn't make us bad people. I've got human expectations, and you've got human expectations. But what we have to ask ourselves is, are those biblical expectations? Or are they just preferences? Right? 
I want to to tell you something, and this goes for all of church life. In fact, this goes beyond church life. It it bleeds out into your workplace. It bleeds out into your family. Let me tell you what we tend to do. Listen to me, man. I'm telling you, this is is really good stuff, okay? It's really good. Even if it's coming from me, it's really good stuff what I'm about to tell you, all right? I have found in my own personal life that too many times I I care to recall I have spiritualized my preferences. I've spiritualized my preferences, right? Just start watching for how often you will attach spiritual things and spiritualize what you really just want. I see people people do it all the time. I do it all the time. Oh, friends, listen, nothing can get you twisted up and in a knot faster than attaching spiritual scripture or spiritual thoughts to things that are just human preferences. And and I'm telling you, we, we all do it. We all bring human expectations to a spiritual family. I do it, you do it, but I'm going to tell you, as long as you do that, you're going to be set yourself up for frustration. Let me tell you, if you see Graham Inman our, our student pastor and, and also the pastor of ministry development here, if you see Graham as the solution to your children's spiritual outcome, wow, are you going to be disappointed. He's just one man. No matter who you put in that chair, no matter what you do at Clearview or any other church, if you see a leader as the solution, not the guide. The God takes you on a journey, but the God isn't the solution. And every time we do that in our church life, we lose. Because you see, we can't ask any of our ministers to create miracles. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. But what we end up doing in life, because we listen, we live in America, man, and America is a capitalist environment, and America is a consumer environment. And I don't care how much you try to fight it, All of us are consumers, me included, right? I mean, we are just consumers. That doesn't make us bad people. It makes us normal people. But it's really hard to turn and flip that switch like a light switch that when you you go from Burger King to, to get it your way right away and you walk into the house of God and when it doesn't go the way you want it to go, it's hard to flip the switch to go, wait a minute, could I be having unrealistic expectations? Because, you see, we all bring human expectations to a spiritual family. And in the book of Acts, what I see, when I look at their ownership, I see something different. They weren't looking at churches. If you look at missions at Clearview, if you look at Kim Margrave as the solution to missions, you're going to be disappointed because she's just one person. Kim's job isn't to be the missionary. That's your job. Your job is to be the missionary. Kim's to be the guide. Kim's to be the guide, setting up missions for us, for us to engage. So when you look at the book of Acts, what you find is they had a very healthy understanding between the understanding of who are the leaders and who are the executioners. I want to show you a picture. I kind of put this together this week as I was was preparing for today. 
I kind of put the cross, that's a flat world map for those of you that are just listening on a podcast maybe weeks later. That's a flat map of the world and that cross is kind of over, generally speaking, the, the Middle East and the Holy Land. Now what you see from that picture is you see that the gospel went out all across the globe, right? The gospel went out all over the world, and it, and, it, and, it, and it impacted literally millions and millions of people. And to this day, it impacts millions and millions of people every single day of the, uh, of the life of, of all of us. I mean, every day, every day, every day, from the su- setting of the sun to the rising of the sun, 24-7, 365, the gospel continues to go forward. But in the early church, the gospel went out from that epicenter, from ground zero of where Jesus came out of the grave. It went forward, and it hopped the globe, and it infected country after country. And I'm going to tell you something. That did not happen because just 12 men did the work. Right? That didn't happen because 12 men did the work. That happened because thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people like you and like me, normal people, that happened because what they did is they took ownership of the vision. Right? They took ownership of the vision. Sometimes I think we get really frustrated in church life because could it be that we flipped the idea of expectation? So often we look at our ministers as the executioners and the the people that do it all. And in fact, no, it's it's actually just the opposite because the gospel doesn't go forward unless we have an understanding of how they did it in Acts. And how they did it in Acts is everybody saw themselves as owners of the kingdom of God. We are all owners of the kingdom of God. We are all owners of the kingdom of God. And so... When we, when we understand what they did in Acts, I think it, it's going to clear up a lot of it for you. In the book of Acts, notice they testified. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They testified. They engaged their culture. They, they engaged local governments. They engaged towns. They redefined culture. They, put, they, they infected their world with, with Jesus' influence, and that was all of them. That was all of them. So we don't get to see that happen if we just, if we, if they had just put that burden on the 12 apostles, then friends, we wouldn't even be here today. We wouldn't even be here today. No, this is, this is our vision. You see, in, in the Bible, a healthy understanding of church structure is that God gives the vision to the leaders, and you get to determine the pace. God gives the vision to the leaders, and you get to determine the pace. That's how he did it with Peter. That's how he did it with the early church fathers. That's how he's done it all the way down. We all have a role to play. But if we want to see that happen, even right here in Franklin, then it's going to take a total effort. And I think sometimes our perspective is that we're looking... We're looking for solutions in limited human minds. Limited human minds. One thing I love about Clearview is uh, the amount of intellect in this church is impressive. Many of you are very successful people. And I don't mean just successful monetarily. I mean you're just successful. You, you have good jobs. You know how to make things work. You know how to make things thrive. You know how to, how to execute things. And I'm telling you, 
if we can have a unified vision of our role to play, it's, it, it's, it's impressive what can be done. But that's not the only part I think about another perspective I want to show you this morning, and that is this. If you want to have unified expectations, let me give you a diff- another perspective. One, see church as engagement, church worship as engagement, not experience. See church worship as something that you engage not to experience. You know, something happened, at least in my lifetime. I can't give you a date and I can't give you a time. I can just tell you that when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I began to watch something happening in Christendom. I began to watch something happening in evangelical churches. And I'm not alone in this, and and, and it's certainly not an original thought with me. But something began to happen as America moved further and further and further from God. Churches were doing everything they could, regardless of denomination. Churches were doing everything they could to attract people. That's not bad. I mean, that's actually, I get it. You're trying to compete for people's attention. You're trying to compete for people's values. So the church, you know, at least in my lifetime, in the, I saw the church in the 90s, late 80s, in the 90s, and the early 2000s. The church basically was waving its hands going, hey, look at us. Hey, look at Wait, wait, stop, stop. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Come here, come here, come here. And, and it's called, by the way, for those of you in marketing, that's called outbound marketing. All right? That's the billboard on 65 that says, look at my business, look at my business, look at me, please choose me, please choose me, please choose me. Right? But the church was never intended to be outbound marketers. We were intended to be inbound marketers. Do you know what inbound marketing does? Inbound marketing goes into something and it pulls out. Inbound goes in and it pulls out. That's what you saw in the book of Acts. The people went into culture and they pulled out people. That's what happened. So, so, but I began to see early in my ministry life, churches trying, in the name of excellence, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm not saying it's bad. Don't hear, it's not. What I'm saying is, what churches were doing was they were trying to have the best bands and they were trying to have the best musicians and the best student ministry life and the best amenities and the best everything. And let me tell you what happens when you do that. You have set yourself up for failure because now you're on a hamster wheel and you just got to keep it up and you 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 got to keep it up. And as soon as the amenities go down, people will leave because there's somewhere else that does it better, right? There's just somewhere else that does it better, always. But that's not what we see in the book of Acts. But what you see in American church life is I think, I think as we saw culture moving further from God, we were trying to do anything we could to get people to come. And so what we began to do is have these really amazing worship environments. But what they became, in many cases, were really good concerts. Where Christians had great bands. I mean, this is Franklin, man, right? I mean, you just saw like kind of clear views unplugged right there, you know? For those of you that liked VH1 like a thousand years ago, you know? That was kind of clear view unplugged there for a minute, you know? And what, what you don't know is like there's some amazing musicians in that. You know, a lot of the songs you hear on country radio, Brett Warren wrote them, 
He, he's back there going, I can't believe he just said that. I can't believe he just said that. Like, the churches in Franklin are full of amazing musicians. But worship was never meant to be a concert that you watch. Listen to what, what, what the psalmist says in Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. See, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. When you come to worship, you know what it's meant to be? Worship is a verb. Worship is a verb. It's not a person. It's not a place. It's a thing. No, it's a verb. Worship is something you do. And so a lot of times, what we end up doing is, is and I saw this happening in my 20s and 30s. I began to, as I was in seminary, and, and, and I would visit all kinds of churches, and I would go, and I began to notice that, that we were, as we were trying to attract people, all of a sudden, we, we were having the, the, these um, environments that felt to me really no different than any really good concert I'd ever been to. But we are, we are, we are told in Scripture, and listen, that's just one verse. I could have picked maybe a hundred verses. But that we are told to ascribe, give to the Lord the glory due his name. You see, friends, when you come in here for worship, you know what you do? We owe God something. Can I get an amen? We owe God something. Oh, he's not a, he's not a debt collector going, hey, pay me. He's not doing that. No, but the, but the Lord is owed something. And what he's owed is everything we've got. He's owed something. So when we come in here and when we, when, we bring, when we bring human expectations to the spiritual act of worship, I'm going to tell you, it's going to, don't be surprised if you start, don't say your, your balloon deflating, right? It, it, it's, it's, really, it's really easy for that to happen to us. What worship does is worship reframes how we look at life. When you come, when you come into this place, and you've had an incredibly difficult week. When you give God the glory due his name, guess what you're reminded of? You're reminded of who's in control of your life. When you come into this place and you've got a big concern about something in your family and something is not going the way you want it to in your marriage, when you come in here, you, you re, when you start giving God the glory that you owe him, you start realizing you're talking to the king of the universe who can heal any heart. You see, when, when, when worship becomes a verb that goes that way, not this way, I've even challenged Zach and Alexis and some of our musicians to, to start looking at even the songs we sing because even today, a lot of the songs that you hear on Christian radio, they're not singing to God. They're singing to themselves. God is my friend. He came after me, which he did God does this for me, and God does that for me, but God does this for me, and God does that for me. But I'm telling you, friend, God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me a thing. I am told to give glory that he is owed to. And I'm telling you, but when you, do, when you come in to worship and you don't really care about the songs they sing and you don't really care about how good or how not good the preaching is or how, how, how if you were greeted or if you weren't greeted or if you had the, the signage properly put out and not, I mean if you just come to say oh God I need to plug in it's amazing that you leave recharged it's amazing that you leave recharged see worship reframes it so if you look in the book of Acts look at what just happened right here we, we see it again 
Verse 43, it says that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Okay, awe is worship. They gave awe and wonders were done. They were together. They had all things in common. Verse 44. Verse 47, look at this. They were praising God and having favor with the people. By the way, that's not just church people. That means people in general. God gave them favor. And worship was a forerunner to the fact that God gave them power. Worship reframes. It reframes. So let me tell you, when, when you, all of us, and this includes Jason, this includes Jason, I believe all of us would do ourselves a great service that when we pulled onto Clearview's campus, we said, hey, God, I'm coming to give you glory today. I want to meet with you, and that's all I want to do. I want you to reframe. See, when you spent, listen to me, friends, when you spent all week long in the marketplace that can be cutthroat and brutal, when you spent all week long in the marketplace and in the classroom where, where the enemy lives, where things are distorted, when you come into worship, it is your time to reframe who owns you. And boy, that goes a long way, doesn't it? So as we see a perspective, that's one I'd love for you to get. See leaders in the church as guides, not, not solutions. See worship as engagement, not experience. And there's one more that I want to give you this morning. If you want to have unified expectations and church reimagined, I would say it to you this way. See church as mission, not consumption. See church as mission, not consumption. Now, I told you that I'm lifting these principles from the book of Acts, right? So there's something that happens right here in verse 44. And, and it, you can read right past it if you don't stop and realize the gravity of it. It says, all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. And here's verse 45. Look at verse 45. And they began selling their property and possessions, sharing them with anyone that might have need. I want you to think right now in your mind about your home, literally where you live. Now imagine that you sold that and you took your equity and you went and laid it at the feet of the church leaders, those checks. That's what they did. By the way, I'm not, don't, I'm not saying that like, I need you to go like, selling your houses. Don't misinterpret that. I'm saying that these people had such a vision for what Jesus had done for them, they began selling metal and wood and things that are going to expire to fund the kingdom of God. That's how deep it went with them. You see, they, they began to see one another as we have got this whole new thing 
called Jesus Christ. And he has done something in us that we could never do on our own. And we're watching demons come out of people. We're watching depression get healed. We're watching physical ailments become healed. We're watching people who were bitter and jealous and, and gossips and, and, and tearing each other. We're watching that stop. We're watching people who, who were just about to divorce. Now they're not. We're watching all of these things take place right here among us. And I'm telling you, this is worthy of everything I've got. It's worthy of everything I've got. And so they, they saw themselves as connected to this mission that they couldn't explain. And so I want to share with you this morning that when we, when we began to see church as mission, not consumption, some, consumption, something changes. Something changes. See, I'm going to say it to you this way. Ministry is my way of serving God's people. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Ministry is my way of serving God's people. Mission is my way of serving people far from God. And those things have got to be both in the algorithm, not just one. Ministry is my way, ministry is your way of, of serving God's people, right? Ministry is my way of serving God's people. But mission is my way of serving people far from God. Now, I want to tell you, what you see in verse 44 and verse 45, what you see right there is ministry. They were giving up their own possessions to meet the needs of the, of the new believers, that's what they were doing, right? And let me tell you, a lot of churches get the top half of that. They, they, they nail it. A lot of churches nail it. We, we, we spend a lot of time in church life serving one another, right? And, and we're called to do that. In fact, Philippians 2 says it this way, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself. Put somebody else before you, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. We are told to look out for other people, to actually literally value somebody more important than you, which is the counterculture nature of that statement in 2021 is mind-boggling, isn't it? It's mind-boggling. When is the last time at work that you said, boy, if I do this, this is not going to go well for me, but it's going to go really well for John. So I'm going to do it. Boy, I tell you what, if, if I take on this role that my boss is asking me to take on, it's not going to build my resume, but it's going to make Mary looked really great. So I'm going to do it. We just don't think like that in America. But the standard is that we are to put others' needs above ourselves. So I, I think churches do pretty good with this. But I want to I I give you a picture of what happens if that's all you do. Now, now listen, if... If for some reason, and I know this never happens at Clearview. I've never seen anybody fall asleep in my sermons, ever. Okay, ever. It's never happened. I'm not looking at anybody that I want to look at right now. Okay, but I'm ne it's never happened. Okay, but if it did happen, I need you to wake up for a, I need you to give me your heart for a couple minutes. I need you to give me your mind for just a couple minutes. See, if we want to, if we want to have church reimagined, where we see church as mission, not consumption. If ministry is my way of serving God's people, mission's my way of serving people far from God. I want to show you a picture of a swamp. 
All right? A stream, a stream that has no outlet becomes a swamp, right? Surely you would know this. A stream that has no outlet becomes a swamp. It's got a dead end. I don't know if you've ever been in swamps. I'm in swamps often. I like to duck hunt, and and so sometimes I'm in bogs and swamps. But I can tell you there's a lot of things about them uh, most of the year except during duck season. Okay, Except during duck season, swamps stink. They don't smell good. There's also big snakes in swamps, cottonmouths that are from Satan, all right, from the devil. There's only one snake that's ever been created, the copper-headed water rattler, and they are all in the same boat, all right? And they all deserve to be killed in Jesus' name, okay? So swamps have no outlet, right? It's a body of water that has momentum, but it's got a dead end. But a stream that has no outlet is called a river. And on a river, you can put a dam like this, and you can bring power to an entire state. A stream that has no outlet is going to be putrid eventually. It's going to have sulfur water eventually. Eventually, it's going to be stagnant with tons of mosquitoes, big snakes, and it's going to be full of mud and muck. But a stream that has no outlet is called a river. And on a river, you can create power. And what I see in the book of Acts is a group of people that had harnessed power. That's what that dam is. That is harnessing power. A dam is harnessing power. And I'm telling you guys, I think in the average Christian church, we do great with ministering to one to another. But if you look around the landscape of our country, what you see is that that's only half the equation of what you see in the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, they saw themselves as sent. So I'm going to say it to you this way. As long as you see Clearview as a place you attend, you speed up the end. Do you hear me? Meditate on that for a minute. As long as you see Clearview as a place you attend, you speed up the end. To make sure you're getting it, there is an expiration date on our church. There is a, a shelf life, like milk. Milk has an expiration date, right? As long as, as long as all of us, as long as we see Clearview as a place I go, the kingdom never grows. If, if Clearview is a place you go, the kingdom doesn't grow. We can meet one another's needs all day, but I'm going to tell you something. We don't have to have Jesus just to meet needs. I see, I see people that don't know Jesus meeting needs all the time. I see people that don't know Jesus helping one another all the time. I see people that don't know Jesus sharing all the time. Oh, it, it takes Jesus to make it eternal, but you don't need Jesus just to be good people. You can be good without Jesus, but you just won't be godly. But as long as you and I, 
And you can insert any church in that word Clearview. You can insert any church. Put any church's name. Put your home church where you grew up or the church you came to Clearview from. Put it in there. That's universal for any church. As long as you see church as a place you attend, you actually speed up the expiration date. Because we we will become a swamp. We'll become a swamp. But if we do what they did in the book of Acts, they were a river. See, friends, listen, you were made, listen, this is what's the beautiful, beautiful part of it is. You were made for a mission. You know why we talk so much at Clearview about you discovering your purpose? Because we believe at Clearview that God made you for a reason. He wasn't just populating the planet when he made you. He wasn't just, pop, he, he made you for a reason. And the reason that we as church leaders want you so desperately, man, we pray for it all the time. We, we, we do things like starting point in place. We, we put all of these structures in place with guides and people to help you discover your mission. You know why we do that so much? Because we know if you can discover your mission, we won't have to wake you up. We'll just have to harness you and point you in the right direction. Jesus said this, in John 20, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We are sent people. So ministry is crucial in that we do ministry and serve God's people. But if we only do that, we've left the other half out of the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts, they shared the gospel. They shared the gospel. across Because the meeting of needs can help. But only Jesus can change. Only Jesus can change. Jesus said, I'm sending you. In, in, in a different way of saying it, the, the Great Commission wasn't the great suggestion. Right? It wasn't the great suggestion. It was the Great Commission. And listen, Jesus didn't say, go into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He Do that, Jason. He said, do that, everybody. Everybody. All of us are called to that, man. We're all called to it. Let me tell you, a mission we have, buddy. A mission we have right now. Let me just give you a couple of 2020 statistics that I actually heard just this week. Just this week. These are from the CDC, by the way, according to the source. Look at this. In in, in in 2020, one-fourth of people under the age of 30 considered suicide. 20% 20% increase in divorce rate in the last 12 months. 20% increase. There was a 300% increase in antidepressants in 2020. And a 900% increase in calls to the mental health hotlines across our nation. I mean, think about that, you guys. We, we're getting reports right here in Franklin. One of our ministers talked to a city official just a few days ago and they said that they were averaging responding before COVID in the pandemic they were averaging responding to suicide calls maybe once a month in Franklin and now it's weekly in Franklin 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 right here Fieldstone Farms Cottonwood McKay's Mill West Haven, right here. Oh, friends, we've got a mission, and I believe in you. I'm telling you, I, I believe in, in you, and I, we, we are so for you at this church. 
But we have to do more than just the top half of the equation. We have to do more. Look at this. Ministry is what? Let's go to the next one. Ministry is my way of serving God's people, but mission is my way of serving people far from God, far from God, far from God. And I wonder this. I wonder if part, I don't know. It's a question that I have, and I don't know the answer to it. But I wonder if part of the reason that Christians across this nation for so many years have been disillusioned with the church, I wonder if it's because they've only done half of that. Because there's nothing more fulfilling than fulfilling your purpose. There's nothing more fulfilling than watching somebody who was going to go to hell when they die and you share the gospel with them and the hope you have and that person discovering Jesus and everything changes. There is nothing more addicting than that. There is nothing more rewarding than that. And the people in the book of Acts, that's what they did. We don't know their names. We don't even know their faces. But we do know that mission was what they did. They did ministry and they did mission. They did them both. And I wonder if sometimes the reason that people find disillusionment is because if this is all we do, right here, right now, in this moment, on a Sunday morning, if this is all we do, this is not what we're called to do. This is part of what we're called to do today. So as I was looking at this this week, I was praying God, where do we go from here? This is about church reimagined. Three perspectives for a, a unified expectation. See leaders as guides, not solutions. See worship as an engagement, not an experience. See church as mission, not consumption. What do we do with that? And as I was praying through it, There was a verse that came to my mind, and to be honest with you, a rhythm in this verse that I had missed for many years. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to ask you to flip one book to the right to the book of Romans. Just one book. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, go to, go to one, chapter, one book next to Romans, and the, the chapter is chapter 12. And I'm going to ask you this morning to retrain your brain. To retrain your brain, we all bring human expectations to a spiritual family. But I'm going to ask you to retrain your brain. Now, Paul is trying to get the, the, the Christians at Rome, just a town, just like the Christians at Clearview. This, this could have been labeled the book of Clearview, or excuse me, the book of Franklin. He's trying to get the, the people in Rome to look at themselves differently. And there's something really interesting here that happens because we tend to focus on the first two verses, but there's more past verse 2. It says, verse 1, Therefore, Paul says, I urge you. That, that's a word for literally beg. I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Be, retrain your brain. Retrain your brain. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then catch this phrase so that you will prove what the will of God is. You want to know God's will? Retrain your brain. That which is good and acceptable. And though, for, for through the grace given to me, I say 
to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than you ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now pay, pay close attention right here. For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. And so we, we who are many, we are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to ex exercise them accordingly. And then Paul goes into different spiritual gifts. It's interesting to me that we are commanded in Scripture, A, to offer our entire selves. You just sang a song a minute ago, all to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. It's really easy to sing. It's really hard to do. It's really easy to sing. It's really hard to do. We are told to give our whole selves to the kingdom of God, to be transformed by our new mind, to retrain the brain, and that right after that, we're told to exercise the gifts. Exercise the gifts. See, you have been given gifts that only you can have and only you can do. And on, people to minister to. That I, Listen, you've got access to people in your daily life and in your neighborhoods and in your jobs. You've got access. You've got open invitations to people that I'm not even invited to. Do you hear me? You've got open invitations to people that don't know Jesus that I'm not even invited to. But you do. You've got that. And so you've been given gifts, and you've been given talents, and you've been given visions, and you've been given dreams. And so if we will take those, you guys, and exercise them, oh, my goodness. Listen, do you guys, there's no, there's no telling what could happen here. There's no telling what could happen here. There, there's no end to what we could see right here at this church if we see ourselves as more than just ministering one to another. But as people called to a mission. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.